Yes. Um, it's really weird. It's it's it, it, you almost sort of hyper begin to hyper notice how rare um, attention to cycles are. Right, like when you become hyper aware of cycles, and you look at the at material such as 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 this as its own cycle, right? Because it, because it's like you go back to a story, and it's like going back to an entire season in your garden again, right? Right, right, right. And you never know. You know the things that will be there. You don't uh-huh. exactly know how it's going to shape shape out. Yeah, yeah. You know? So we are um, we're good to go. Okay, buddy. All right, you cool. kick us off. Welcome to another Originative Warrior Beauty Podcast. This is the Ekat series. Uh, today's topic of the day is stories. Stories of the anterior, the exterior, the interior. Uh, what does a story mean? How do we come to stories? What's the difference between storytelling and story reading? And where can we go with stories? How, how, how does our relationship with story look now compared to what it used to, compared to how we came to, came to story in the, mm-hmm. in the process? I am Ron Green, your host, Lucian Nather. And I am Carl Emmons, Glue Scabby, uh, when it comes to storytelling. Uh huh. That's right. <laughs> and we've got a little story for you today, but uh, but first we're going to introduce the art of storytelling as we've come to it a little bit. You know, it was uh, in a separate podcast. Carl mentioned uh, the day at Studio One that he came to story, and that may have been the day that I came to it. Also, I may, I may have just pawned <laughs> off the, the whole project on now. The art of storytelling is a gift that that has been long in the making it's not over it's a continual process just like any skill just like our relationship with say playing the guitar or having a lover or a friend or a study of the stars and the planets it's never over and it's always this new mystery that's that's unfolding we were just talking about how a story is is like revisiting a new season, right? It's like going back into a season, again, a season in, in say, our garden, where we know we know what's planted, what's going to be, what's going to come up, but we don't know exactly how it's going to come up. We don't know what the weather is going to be like for that story, mm-hmm. and because every time we tell a story, it's a little bit different. Every we are different. The story might not might not change, but everything changes in relationship to the story because we're at a different place in our orbits. It's the it's it's the magic of story when when you've told or heard or carried um, a story for ten years with those who also tell and and listen and carry stories. Um, and can feed a story, as we'll share a little bit about later on. You're you're able to witness those cycles that Ron's talking about. And as I think back to that moment um, where you were talking about origins of story in me, I could have never imagined 
what it's like to come back to something again and again and again. Um, though, as I say that, I think to be fair to my Judeo-Christian upbringings, um, oftentimes a coming to a text in a religious form or in spiritual traditions, there's, there's often revisitation of sure. texts that allow for yourself to a, a, a different understanding of yourself and your world. And, and it's done it's done beautifully as well. I think that what I found to be the difference because I was so involved in that approach and I am equally committed and involved in this approach towards understanding oneself and, 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 and the universe around us is that the delineations of the truth, quote unquote, or the dogmas around story have not been consolidated yet. Huh, it's yeah. like stories still have space to breathe and within which one can take some risks and, and, and develop a unique and authentic relationship with what is being said and heard with those right then and there. It's not, there's, it's, it, it doesn't seem to be too entangled or at least it's not traceably entangled to a widespread of, you know, accurate analysis of what it meant. Although the more and more I dig into for example, union understandings of specific stories which exist and for mm. stories that it doesn't, I feel that freedom much more. Um, and likewise, Freudian understandings of story, they're, that, that exists, but it's still so new and so fresh that, that there's still space. I, I can't say that that will be the case 400 years um, into, you know, modern psychology but you know at least for now it still feels fresh and it feels new and there's some sort of lively encounter as it must have been with the origins of the myths and the stories of the great religions of the world like there must have been a certain feeling of the freshness of it. And, you know, the mystic traditions in each religion continued that and actually held that high um, rather than succumbing to succinct dogmatizations of interpretations of the text. But, but the larger tradition is not mystic in each of the religions. And, and so most texts have become incredibly literal and have lost the mythical nature and the metaphorical nature of what stories, which is the essence of any religion, um, really meant to be for those who are gathering together to listen to it. And so, you know, as, as I look back on the last 10 years, coming to a story where in many times, like I remember sitting um, with you and, and, no one in the room had any idea of what these symbols meant or what they were representing or how to even begin. We just trusted the story and kind of told it. And, and, there, and, then, and so there's certainly been seasons of growth into identifying certain things that tend to always resound with an element of accuracy. And, and, 
and that's beautiful, but largely it's, it, it, it's an experience um, that feels unpredictable. As, as, mm. as I feel, you know, uh, tonight in my side of the world and, and this morning, your side of the world, will be as we go into the Brothers Grimm's collected rendition of Little Brother and Little Sister, which you and I have never experienced a, a shared telling um, together of. And, and there's an excitement for Heck yeah. um, what we know, we don't know of what will happen tonight. Yeah, I, I like, I like what, what you said there about the trust in the story, because we did have a certain trust early on, and whether that came from other authors that we had come across like Rudolf Steiner and Bly, Prechtel, Barfield, Tolkien. There's something beyond what, what a sort of, what, what the modern culture sort of, you know, gets at when they, when they say story, it's not, uh, and, and, and even less so if we're just talking about fiction, right. Um, there <laughs> so the more literal we get with with that and uh, the more entertainment oriented it is we're, we're losing a lot of the metaphysical and mystic aspect aspect of of the learning that's that's compartmentalized in packaged into every story like the genetics of of a seed contain the entire plant if you're willing to plant the seed, right? If you're willing to plant a story and it sprouts, it's like, watch out. Yeah. You know, it, it has that, it has that potential for life in, in embedded in it. And, and much like the trust that, that a child must have when they watch a sprout, they plant a seed and they, and, and they come back and, nine days and it's got a, <laughs> it's shot up out of the soil. There is a trust then, right? Like, Oh, that magic just does happen. I mean, that, and, and that's an important magical thing that it, that, you know, to, to watch this tiny, tiny thing take on a shape uh, that is unique and, 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 and individual, but is also part of a big matrix and, and a design. It's, it's amazing to think back on one of the most iconic parables that Jesus told, familiar to any listener, believe it or not, um, you know, in which seemingly, what, as you were just saying, the plant world and the world of story were equally understood when Jesus is saying, you know, like the farmer who throws the seed and some of it falls on the road um, and sprouts very quickly, but wilts, you know, when the sun just scorches it because it had no place to set root and, you know, and some were eaten by the birds and kind of taken away and others really fell on fertile soil. The commitment that I have to telling stories with children, with parents, with friends when they're over at our house, even with my boys, not every story um, falls at that moment into that fertile soil. And it's really interesting to now have a relationship with story and go back to some 
to a text that I had such a relationship with, but now I have much more of a relationship with plants and with stories. And before what I had was that kind of iconic message, but not the relationship with story or oh. with seeds. Like right. that's pretty fascinating. And if we go into what you were saying earlier on of those cycles, because I can hold on to something that I heard when I was eight and 10 and all of that time growing up to speak of it now at 38, there is something new to that that makes me wonder, well, certainly when those words were spoken, those telling it, those hearing it, those sharing it had a relationship that I did not have when I first heard that story with plants and with story. That's mind blowing, really. Yeah. It's like the beginning of the Upanishads and the text talks about the essence of all things is Om. It's the vibration. It's the essence of water. And the person who says Om and understands what it means is different than the person who says om and doesn't understand what it means. I think there's a lot to what you were saying. It's natural for cultures to sort of uh, whittle metaphors down to cliches and then have those become so concretized that we do, we forget that it's even cliche. It's just a natural part of, of our language. And it's one of the reasons that, that you and I are and within this whole thing are so interested in etymology because understanding the story of a word is a very powerful um, transformation to one's own language. I use words in a different way because I have a connection to some of their stories. Talk a little bit about story carrying. There's many stories that I've heard and there's stories that I'm aware of and I'm vaguely familiar with. But to carry a story requires an honoring of the story. And the honoring of the story is the blessing of telling that story. Being able to tell it and recognizing moments in which it's good for that story to be told as the renowned challenge that we heard and often speak to ourselves uh, says uh, you, you, you know enough about story when for every given moment you have a story. <laughs> okay. All right. There's certainly moments that I can resort to, I don't know, psychology or, or, you know, some sort of tidbit wisdom that I've picked up here or there. And then there's other moments that I'm like, well, let's think about that in light of this story. And ho hopefully one day they, they become more and more so. But, but to be able to carry story is to be able to, to have those stories ever present with us as a way of sharing, but as a way of identifying certain moments that are actually taking place. As, as I learned through Martine Prechtel's work, um, recognizing the moments in which the gods are trying to jump back into life by playing out those stories through us. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that is always taking place, the difference is our cognizance of it. And without story, we can't recognize the gods coming alive through stories. So the more that we're able to carry these stories, we can see the spirits coming alive in moments of a crossing of a threshold, in moments of profound grief, in moments that require tremendous risk to be right. taken. And, mo- and, and so they're, they're, the more stories that we're able to carry, as we say in our bundle, the more that we're able to completely avoid any sense of disconnect and rather and profound interconnectedness that is ancestral because when when you see that something that is taking place in your life right now has been happening a long time ago as the stories say and has always been happening and will always happening because as the Jungian tradition would say, it has become archetypal, mm-hmm. then, then we can truly say, yeah, yeah we're, 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 we're carrying that story. So it, it, it's a lens and a, and a trusty lens within which to look at the world and better understand ourselves and what's happening within the context of that, the cyclical that has always been happening, but it's also... A, a gift that we carry, like they would say in the Costa Rican tradition of el baguette que todos traemos bajo el hombro, um, the bread that we bring into this world. As we as we have gifts to carry around, stories are definitely a rich one of those. And as story carriers, we have the opportunity to be able to give them um, in certain moments, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. You know, a, a cultural healer, whether it be called a medicine man or a shaman or an elder or a wise person, I think of the story as the as as the a type of medicine, and that um, that type of that type of community member within a culture is a sort of is to story as as the physician is to medication is the the herbalist to plants having having such a relationship with a breadth of stories a person can really dial in what story can provide the most um, within the context of a moment if they have that relationship you know, with the story and to, to understand that. Similarly, if you, if you only carry one story, it's kind of like Tylenol. It's the, it's the, right. the thing you use for everything. Right. And, and that's right. not bad. That's, that's not, uh, and, and those who use Tylenol have no idea, you know, where it comes from or what, what its origins are. Um, it's fine. They're still going to use it. They're it's still, it can still be that thing that takes, that, that takes some of the pain away, particularly in those crucial uh, moments of transformation that you were talking about. I'd like to open up a space. I'd like to say some words of thanks and blessing for the sand that used to be part of a temple 
that was built on the mountain that carried the pathway for a journey that led to the story that's about to be told. And say thank you to all of the voices that and, and hearts and the, the beat and the fire within each one each one of us uh, and our ancestors that brought this story to uh, to us today. And I'd like to thank the prodigy, the, I'd like to thank the, the the kin that's ahead of us in the future. So I'd like to thank the past, I'd like to thank, thank the future. And I'd also like to open up a different type of time right now, uh, that little separate time away from any other time that we know. It's a third type of time. And we're going to go into that right now and begin the story of little brother, little sister. So little brother took his little sister by the hand and said, ever since our mother died, not a single moment has been good. Our stepmother beats us every day. Whenever we come, she kicks us. Even the dogs are better off than us. They get the crusts of bread that fall from the table. God have mercy, he said. If only our mother knew. Come, my sister. Let us go into the wide world. And so little brother and little sister, they walked and they walked and they walked through meadows, fields, stones. It began to rain and sister said, God is also crying with us. That evening they were in a deep, dark wood. They were tired, full of sorrow, hunger. And they found a tree with a hollow that is where they spent the night. The next morning, almost noon, it was hot when they awoke. The sun was high. And the brother said, Sister, <clears throat> I'm thirsty. If only there was a spring, some water, where I could go and I could get a drink. Hmm. I, th I think I hear one. They both got up. Once again, the brother took the sister by the hand. They went off to find the spring. Now, the wicked stepmother knew they had left. And she had not given up her prowl. She had decided to bewitch every spring in that wood. 
when they found a spring, the brother was excited. He went close down to the water and began to drink. Got close, close, was about to drink. The sister, she, she, she heard something say, whoever drinks from me, whoever drinks from me will become a tiger. Whoa. And she cried out, brother, stop, do not drink or you will become wild. You will become wild and you will tear me up. You will tear me to shreds. Don't drink, brother. And, and, he, and he complied and he listened. He said, you know, I'll, I'll wait for another spring. It was then that they came to another spring and in just the same way, the sister heard something say, whoever drinks from me will become a wolf. Whoever drinks from me will become a wolf. Brother, please do not drink or you will eat me up. The brother did not drink and he said, I will wait, but I will only wait once more. No matter what kind of spring we come across, I must drink, sister, I must drink. They came to a third spring, as so often happens in stories. The sister heard once again, and this time the voice said, whoever drinks from me will become a deer. Whoever drinks from me will become a deer. Brother, do not drink, or you will become a deer and, and you will run. You will run away from me. <laughs> the brother was already lapping the water. He was thirsty. And the second that water touched his lips, he turned into a young deer and he lay there on the ground by the water. And the sister wept for her brother was bewitched. And her brother, the deer, wept. And sadly, the two sat together. So as we say with these stories, in that place of tears is where we will leave them for now. As we allow that story that was flowing almost like the rivers that are born from these springs and it's wanting us to follow along with it We'll just sit with them by that river and, and share a little bit on what all is being said through this story that has been told so many times before us, which is the power of telling something that is so old and has been told so many times, right? Um, to imagine 
campfires, mom cooking in the kitchen, children at the table, and this story comes up. It's good to be in the presence of something so old. So where, um, where does the, this story find you? Or what, what are you hearing as, as you're listening um, to this telling from Denver to Waigao in China? You know, on, the, on, on this telling, one of the things that popped out to me was how um, the, the, the little brother's relationship with, uh, with his desire is an evolving, it's an evolving um, uh, progression, right? He's moving from one brook to the next. First, he'll become a beast and tear apart sister, which is both his family, the voice of his family, the voice of the, the contemporary family, but, but, it's all, but it's also a domestic side of him, right? So it's like if he drinks too soon, he'll tear apart that domest, the, the domesticity. And, and then if he waits a little bit longer, he'll just consume the domesticity, Right, it, w- it won't be such a, in such wreckage. But he he waits a little bit longer, and he just runs from it. Right, it's the it's the I'm gonna, oh. you're, you're going to run away from your dog, right? And that <clears throat> so that's that's kind of what popped out this time is is what is the role of the domesticity that our family provides. Right, specifically in the context of that, um, mm. and and what and how do we each move away from that to find out who we really need to be? When I first heard the story, I I kind of succumbed to a very quick like, tiger is evil, wolf is evil, the deer, we must await the deer. And suppress right. tiger the safest one of those right right and it's almost as if in the circle of threes that so often presents itself in stories you gotta wait for the third and and as as we were talking a little bit about this um i guess it was last night your time um you know it that really stood out that that it could very much be that this story in this way isn't everyone's story. Sometimes tiger is required in order to escape um, or just rip apart that domesticity that you're speaking of. And I love how the, because the story presents itself as the story there's there's no positivist ultimatum or dogmatized truth on what exactly needs to take place, but rather kind of like a beckoning. And right now I feel like something's pulling me to recognize what I 
didn't recognize when I first came to the story, not too mm-hmm. long ago, two years or so, but where I quickly dismissed tiger energies, wolf energies, we must become the doe. Right. I love the idea of recognizing that if we were in a circle of 25 people right now, and as listeners may want to come to this story and engage and share back, um, their story might not necessarily be that of one becoming a doe. It may may be a story that is requiring of, you know, a tiger violence in order to create that disruption. Likewise, the story may have been that, you should have awaited the dough because <laughs> look what succumbing to your tiger energy a little bit too soon. And I think it's there that the beauty of where are you, how did that fleet from domesticity take place when it took place? Was it in a tiger way? Was it in a wolf way? Was it in a doe way? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I were to answer my, my own question, I would say, I was a doe. Are you kidding me? The framework within which I was raised, all of my siblings, was delineated. It was clear. The fleet from it was docile and almost pleading, as we'll see later on in the story. Like, mm-hmm. please let me go. Um, there, there wasn't... There wasn't a need to rip apart the domesticity that I was granted, uh, if, if I'm fair to that. It created a solid framework from which it made sense to run, as we'll see later on in the story and come back to. Mm. Um, but that's not the case necessarily for everyone. Yeah, I want to inten- intentionally bring in a parallel to some context, contextualize it in in our sort of current politics or modernity by saying that the word domesticity here could, could also be a type of imperialism or colonization, right? Meaning that within, within a family structure, Hmm. we try to build up that framework Uh and that framework can then is is a settlement, right? It's like, this is where we're going to, this is where we're going to settle. This is where we're going to establish roots. We have a lot of euphemisms for how we talk about it, but like anything, those trees, those roots, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to move around, right? Maybe, maybe their, their branches become brittle and, um, and a weight, you know, the, uh, uh, a hurricane force wind <laughs> that, that may just destroy it. But, um, but I think it's important to see, to, to look back and say that this is a, a relationship with the type of, uh, it's, a, it's, it's directly related to the stepmother here, right? So what is the break from that stepmother? Does it need to be the tiger energy? Does it need to be the wolf energy? Does it need to be destroyed and dismantled and smashed and, and so that there's a wake of destruction that then something can rebuild like a phoenix from? Uh, mm-hmm. or, or is it like, hey, no, I just need some distance and right. I need to be able to get my bearings. Um, 
and I think everyone's coming from a different uh, stepmother energy. Um, and sometimes that stepmother energy or that imperialism is, is so um, enslaving. It's so uh, oppressive that the tiger is the most appropriate mm-hmm. thing. It's like, as soon as they can get a drink, they do. And, mm-hmm. um, and then we can see that, that water as being, well, what's your poison? What poison is the thing that leads you to the tiger energy? And if we get lost there, if we get lost in that, in the water, we get lost in the drink, uh, whether it be drugs or alcohol, um, or, or any other addiction, um, because it's the thing, it's the first medication that we can, we can get. And, and in the response to the, the, the oppression that we're running from, it's, it's what needs to happen then. Does that, does any of that sit with you? Yeah, it's actually, it's actually wonderful. The, the, earlier on when I first came to the story, it, it seemed that much of this story was asking us to consider masculine and feminine energies within us. Mm. And, and, and I really gravitated towards that very strongly. For example, when the, when the, when the brother takes the little sister by the hand and says, enough is enough. Look what this stepmother is doing with us. We gotta go. You know, like it's been said that that's a very masculine, um, not male masculine, which lives within the woman, which lives within the man, within all of us that says there's something that needs to be done and follows through with it. Right. Um, However, when I, when I consider what I'm feeling right now about, man, the potential benefits of, and, and not just benefits, necessities of a tiger energy, it's clear that if and when the tiger energy is embraced, the feminine will be wrecked. And so it's really important to realize that other stories will need to complement what it, what it is that takes place when that tiger energy you know, surges because as we'll see, as the story moves on and we'll get, we'll get into it here in a little bit, it's a co-relationship between the masculine energy that accesses wildness mm-hmm. by running from domesticity, but within a committed relationship to the feminine energy of the sister. Um, and, and that at a tiger level does not exist. The tiger rips away with all of that. And sometimes it's required. It's sometimes it's way out of time, way out of direction, but regardless, a re-encounter, re-enchantment, regeneration of the feminine energy back into a relationship with the tiger or any evolution of it needs to take place. And in this story, as we'll see, that is avoided at least in that though there is transformation and metamorphosis from domesticity into wildness and as a way of stepping away from gruesome stepmother energies the the relationship between 
the little brother and the little sister is maintained. And we can see that right where we left them off as they wept together. Um, the sister was not torn apart and, 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 and only one aspect of the individual was maintained, but rather together they're in deep grief and mourning for the transformation that's taking place. Mm. Yeah. I think the, the piece that you shared on, um, Bettelheim's analysis was really interesting because he talks about that, that female energies as, um, as honoring the intuition, right? So the, the voice of the female or the feminine energy is able to deduce, to hear the voice from the water saying, if you do this, this yeah. will happen. So it's that, that critical thinking part of us that says, <clears throat> pause, think about this for a second. Right. Don't think just about your thirst. Think right. about the Don't consequences th of having that thirst exactly. quenched. Exactly. Where could this go? And that sometimes we heed that intuition. Sometimes we do. And then sometimes the thirst is so overpowering that we say to hell with it. And we're drinking before we can get the, before we can hear the whole message of, of our intuition. Right. Yeah. Let's, um, before we move on in, back into the story too much, let's talk a little bit about the death of the mother, the good mother, mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. and her replacement, um, the faux mother, the, the stepmother. And let's, let's also qualify that within, um, I don't know how much you want to adhere to this, but often within the Jungian tradition, um, they, they, they ask us to think about fairy tales. And, and I've learned a lot from this uh, in that every character in the story is a different aspect of ourself trying to play out who we are. And I, th I think that's really rich in the sense when we talked a little bit about it in terms of like that masculine energy that surges within us that says enough is enough, sister, we got to go. And then I you think, spoke about it. Yeah, I think it's a healthy way to, to, um, to dive into these stories. It's a healthy exercise because um, there, there's too often, I think we we want to separate characters and say, well, that's the good one. And that's the bad one. Or I like that, what that character did there. But when we put, when we see that as all being aspects of, of us as, as individuals, that all of that is happening with within us, I think it gives our prejudice a little pause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when, for example, we take the good mother, the good mother that dies. Um, mm -hmm. If the good mother, the all benevolent mother never dies, we, we, we have that strongly in our culture. Uh -huh. um, when you see 25, 30, 35 year old young women, young men still within the realms of the comfort of the good mother, Mm -hmm. unable to experience the cruelty 
of a stepmother that would then forge the fleet. That's the moment in which the duality of good and evil must bend and, and say, whoa, let's be careful because what's needed here is a little bit of the evil stepmother. Why did, why hasn't that taken place? Why has it taken so long? When, when will she take her place at the table and force the fleet? And then you have the evil stepmother as almost like the, 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 the one that brings the gift of that which was not even considered possible. Yeah, change, transformation. In, in runic lore, it can be seen as ice, Isa. Because uh-huh. ice is, is a change. It's, it's, um, it can break things apart, right? Like when water, when something's saturated, and then it freezes it, and it can break it apart. And then thaw, it is a, it's a transformer. Um, Nauthes is also um, is also one that I think of as as in like need and um, destruction and hail. So there's a there's a series of of very nature forces of nature runes that are just like that seem really harsh, but but when you look at them from the from what is able to live in the cracks that that are created you see them as, as forces that are absolutely necessary. Right. And having had a garden several years now in Denver versus the not so harsh winters in uh, Costa Rica, you've certainly witnessed and can speak towards the need of that harsh winter to take place for the springs that you have uh, to become manifest. Right. And all the fruits that that need a freeze to be able to rest <clears throat> and recycle their energies and then push up the sap again that 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 then causes the fruiting to happen. It was a fascinating thing to to move to Costa Rica and find out that there are fruit fruit trees that you can grow in Costa Rica, but they'll never fruit because there isn't a freeze. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah. oh man, like it needs it needs that 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 cycle conversely it's like it was it was interesting to experience all of the ways that that not only the natural environment of costa rica causes those micro seasons to happen but also how that destruction and change occurred just throughout the relationships that we have i'm thinking specifically about showing up to studio one and the mango tree was cut down, <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. like, yeah. whoa, like that's a, that's some intense destruction and where, and how did that contribute to the next evolution of, of who we became, what, what the, the studio population became, how did it, how did it become, work its way into the mythos of, of, of our own story, right? Let's, um, let's go back, um, go back to little brother and little sister. Little brother is now a deer 
and together they're weeping by the spring. So little sister, having wept with her little brother, now a deer, took a golden garter and put it around his neck. She then went into the brush and took some rushes and wove them into a cord of sorts. And she tied this to her little brother, little animal. And she led him deeper and deeper into the woods. After they had walked for a while, a long while, and they finally came to what looked like a house. The girl looked in, seemed empty, and she thought, well, we can stay here and live. She found leaves, she found moss, made a bed for her brother, Deer. Every morning, she gathered roots and shoots and berries and nuts, brought tender new grass. The deer ate from her hand, was content and played with her. In the evening, when she was tired and had said her prayers, she led her brother back to the moss. Tired, she fell asleep on him as a pillow. If only the brother had had his human form, this would have been a wonderful life. If only the brother had had his human form, this would have been a wonderful life. They were alone in the wild for a while. But then it happened that the king of the land held a great hunt and there were blasts of horns, and there were barkings of dogs, and the merry shouts of the huntsmen sounded through the trees. The little brother, Deer, heard these, and he wanted badly to be a part of it. <laughs> oh! Let me go, sister. I must join the hunt. I can't resist it any longer. He begged. Finally, she agreed with this condition. You must come back to me each evening. I will unlock the door and keep the wild huntsman out. But you must let me know it's you. So knock and say, sister, let me in. If you don't say that, I will not unlock my door. The young deer jumped away and he felt so good and he was so happy out in the open. The king and his huntsmen were chasing him down. They could never catch him. Whenever they thought they were close, he jumped 
off into the bush and disappeared. When it was dark, he would go and say, Sister, let me in. Not by the hair of my chinny chin. <laughs> you can almost hear that, right? My little sister, let me in. She opened the door, he jumped inside, and again, he slept on the moss, and she slept on him as a pillow. The next day, the hunt began again, and he insisted, Sister, please open the door. I must be off. She opened the door, always saying the same thing. Remember when you come back in the evening, little sister, little sister, let me in. The king and the huntsman were always so close. They recognized his golden collar, and they chased him. He was always too fast and nimble. Day after day, the deer would come back in the evening. But on this one occasion, one of the huntsmen happened to wound him. As we so often hear in stories, the wound. He was wounded, and as he limped, he slowly ran away. Huntsman followed him and heard him that time call out, little sister, you must let me in. The huntsman saw someone open the door. Immediately, he went back and he told his king everything that he had seen. The king said, well, tomorrow we continue the hunt. And I ask of all of you that no harm be done to this little deer. Meanwhile, inside, um, the little sister was terrified to see her brother wounded. She was quick to wash the blood, apply herbs, and send him to bed. <sighs> Saying words of comfort, you will be fine. You will be fine soon. The deer forgot completely about the wound the next morning. It was slight. Like that pinch, right? An iron jump pinch. The pinky finger. (laughs) Um, When he heard the sound of the hunt again, he was off. I cannot resist. And there was a little more happening between the two of them. Um, Eventually, sister succumbed and said, you know, they're going to kill you, but if this is what you must do, go. I will not keep you in. He said, it's a good thing. For in here, I would die from grief. When I hear the hunt, something inside me jumps right up. And he was off. He was vigorous and joyous as if nothing had ever happened. During the hunt, the king and the huntsmen saw him and they chased him carefully. As the king had said, no harm should be done to this deer. That evening, the king was fast to follow the huntsman. He said, show me the door. And as he approached, he said, the words, little sister, let me in. <laughs> the door opened 
and the king walked in. And there stood the beautiful girl. And as we know, the king was quick to say, will you be my dear wife <laughs> and go off with me to the castle? And the, and the girl said, yes, uh, but there's this little deer that must come with me. I cannot leave without him. The king said, the deer can stay with you as long as you, as long as the deer lives. Just then, the deer popped in the door and uh, they were off. The king mounted the girl onto the horse and they were off. It was not long before the queen now, the little sister, gave birth. At that time, the king was off fighting his wars and doing his thing. And as that baby came into the world with the tears, with wailing, the little deer playing around, we'll rest the story for now until we come back. Yeah. yeah. When we were talking a bit before about the, um, the stepmother energy and the good mother energy, I think it's important, it's important to note the absence of the father or yeah. the king energy in the beginning. Yeah. So that, that's introduced in this section of the story. It's like king yeah. energy comes in. What is king yeah. energy? Patient. Patient, why? Why, why, is that, why do you speak first of patience? The king says, don't, har don't harm the deer. Uh -huh. Where, where yeah. did you find? No, no. What happened? Now, what did you find? Uh -huh. Yes, that golden garter is on that deer. This is not just any deer. Uh -huh. This is a deer that can lead us to something. Yeah. And, and so the king has a, a sort of a wisdom. It's not talked about in the same way that the intuition speaks to the girl. But it's a different sort of intuition. It's like, wait a second. Right. Too, many, too many signs here point to something that's a little that's that's a little out of the ordinary, <laughs> a little extraordinary. Don't hurt the deer. Instead, let's go follow it. <laughs> right. And and I like that contrast between the king and the intuition of the girl, because if we contrast king with tiger, as we were saying before. What's beautiful about the king is this almost feminine quality of patience mm -hmm. that surges when it's true kingdom. See, we've lost the notion of king in a history so chock full of, you know, devastation and right. of control and of power. And so it's important to qualify that aspect of the true meaning of king, which can only be highlighted through a story in this way. Right. You know, we are, the concepts of king are so above everything else. This story grounds the king into a, wait a minute, there's something going on. And, and we don't, 
readily assimilate that type of patient, observant, aware, yet not fully informed quality to that of a king. Um, and, and it's necessary to go back into stories of true kingship. Yeah, that's an important piece to this. The kings, because of the, the current socio-political uh, environment of our time, I think, I think a lot of people dismiss that, that king and they're like, well, I don't want to be a king. Um, right. Kings are bad. Kings are this. And, and, and it's, but when we go back and we say, no, look, all of these characters are happening inside of us. You can't dismiss the king inside you as, as a male, a female, whatever, what, as, as a person, if that energy is within us, what does the story say about that energy? It says that they're, that inner, that patience is there. That wisdom is there. Also says that there is a motive, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And that motive is to couple. Mm-hmm. We could kind of look at at uh, at that pursuit of the deer as a sort of courtship of the king. Mm-hmm. Finally, mm-hmm. being able to see, it, you know, the the beauty of the maiden. And then, and then pop the question, right? So, so we can we can see that as like there's a pursuit happening, a pursuit, a chase, and there's a and there's a part of us that wow. loves being chased. Wow, loves wow. it, right? Wants to be chased. I love how you blended the the girl at home with the deer being hunted as as one as they should be but it's really hard it's to hard. Yeah. i i i it, had you not pointed that out as the courtship period before he enters into the realm and asks her to marry then then we're very easy to say well that's a bunch of patriarchy there he comes in hey i'm the king you're some sort of maiden come with me right but to have said wait a minute the courting took place mm-hmm. and it took place with meticulous patience, observance, um, determination. You know, it was several days of this that they had been hunting. There was a recognition that something was different and, and, and that the king isn't, and that the king didn't do it on his own. Right. Right. The king right, needed right. the help of other faculties of the huntsman, the huntsman who is good at his craft. I, I, I really love the huntsman's loyalty. Yeah. The huntsman was, yeah. his first response was to see something's going on here. I'm going to let the king know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to barrage into the house as if it was Vietnam and we're just going to kind of take over with some sort of ruthless uh, savageness. It was a retreat of loyalty what what does the king want out of this mm-hmm. i've never seen something like that well that's in in a way it's that's uh the, those other faculty faculties that the king is listening to are his intuition right so we say that that, that it wasn't just this voice appearing in the in the babbling brook uh for the king's for the king's part the king had arranged 
a whole series of staff and, and, and people that were good at their trade um, uh, to, to, to assist. And, and, and loyalty is earned. We, we all know that, that loyalty is not, it's not a given. The, the, the patience of the king has permeated into his servants, his squad, in that the first re- response wasn't impulsive to follow the deer into the home, but was to say, hmm, this is something I've never seen. I'm going back and we're going to see what the king has to say about how we're going to go about this thing. It's yeah, had that- its ripple of influence yeah, you, you, one might one might see that that with with many in our in our culture that that huntsman would have been the the in the in hyper individualized uh, part yeah. that says, oh well, screw the king. I'm t- I'm gonna I'm going in here to find out what you know, see what I can get out of this deal, <laughs> or or maybe not even like screw the king because that's almost got this intention, but almost so aloof that uh, to think yeah, that if I yeah. slaughter the deer and bring it back, the king might feel when I tell him this story about how it whispered at this door and I not only took the deer, I also took this girl and here she is for you. And you know, like this other outcome. No, the, the first response is, Hmm, there's something here and I'm going to bring it back to the King and we're going to assess and see, you know, and and there's this whole, there's this whole realm of, uh, of analysis of how to respond to a certain situation. And, and the King's response is just like, all right, tomorrow the hunt continues. Nothing changes except that make sure to not harm that deer because right. there's something going on there. And, and that whole, you spoke about this beautifully um, uh, last night, uh, your time when, when, when you were, talking a little bit about how this story seems to address that competition within our environment. Just the notion of hunt seems to be so um, power against the powerless oppressor against the oppressed. That is not what's taking place in this story. Right. There's, it's there's one of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell me more about that. Like how you, how you perceive that, that relationship of hunt, which we know um, from our native American ancestors and their relationship as hunters with that, which was hunted, but it's also very evident in this story right? Yeah. I mean, we could kind of take a a ecological stab at it and and just say, what happens when you remove wolves from, from Yellowstone, right? What happens to the environment when you take the hunter out? Yeah. Seemingly noble thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, Oh, everyone's going to be live in peace now. Right. And it's like, everything gets over overrun. You know, there's too many, there's, there's massive populations of, of animals that then become unhealthy because they don't go anywhere. They totally destroy uh, the willows and they eat it down to, and, and then uh, once you have, once you don't have any habitat, you start losing, losing whole sections of, of wildlife. Um, when you reintroduce the hunter, you have a balance 
right? The hunt must go on. Right. When you have an, uh, when you don't have a hunter, what do you get? Like in, you get chronic waste, chronic wasting disease. And so there, there's some, there's a lot of talk against, against the word competition as if the absence of competition is going to be this sort of healthy utopia. Now everyone's yeah. at peace. Everyone's doing yoga all the time. And it's like, well, except that you get, then you get a cultural chronic wasting disease. Mm-hmm. Right. That's happening. And, and, I, and I think it's, it's very clear that we're in that right now. Like that's, that's part of, <laughs> that's part of what we see uh, on a daily basis is this chronic wasting disease of our culture, like affecting, affecting the, the, the intelligentsia because we, ha- we don't have enough of that healthy chase. We have only tiger energy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? You know, right. Only tiger en- energy because there isn't this sort of voice. There isn't a listening to the intuition. And part of how I see part of what, what came to me when I was thinking about that deer and like, how does the energy shift from tiger to wolf to deer? And I think of that deer as being like, the gleeful child that loves being chased, like in tag. In tag, it's the tag is a is is a, a terribly boring game if no if everyone is the chaser, <laughs> right? Then it's just like right. no, that's your job. And it's like, but tag is great if there's only one person that's chasing, and everyone else is running for their lives, right? Uh-huh. except that chronic wasting disease of culture now has, has creeped in and we don't allow tag in schools. It's against the, the rules because <laughs> wow. kids get hurt. Somebody's it. You have one person that's doing the, the, it's like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's a perversion of, of what uh, a classic you know, childhood game and, and enactment is. Right. It, it, it's almost as if having that story, a part of a general body of works that teachers carry, then there would be this common notion that like the King says, the hunt must go on. But in this situation, be careful because we don't want to harm the golden gartered Right here, and 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 in in tag, in school situations can take place, but the alternative is not to eliminate tag. What what that will do, as we've said before, in the absence of conflict, there's violence. Something else will take its place because there's something natural of the hunt that must always go on. And to have a king awareness of how that hunt should take place is a healthier conversation than the elimination of a hunt, be it tag or be it eating the food that we need to eat or so on and so forth. And so that's what we're always succumbing to then the elimination of competition, the elimination of uh, the hunt, the elimination of any sort of um, I'm better. Um, y- you should try more. And, and it really is replaced by 
you know, evils far greater because the king knows no, that this is one of those cycles. And this is something that has always been and should always be um, in order to maintain that balance. Now, how exactly each deer is hunted and recognizing the particularities of this one is worth it, but the hunt must go on. Right. I couldn't help but, um, but consider that the, that the sacrifice that a lot of that the many angles of our culture have here is not only a sac, uh, you know, kill the hunt, get rid of the hunt, but it's also kill the patriarchy, kill the patriarchy, um, kill the king, because we're afraid that it will be a, an oppressive patriarchy. But when you kill off the king, uh, uh, the king, you're killing off an aspect of it, of executive functioning within the person and within the culture. So you're killing off uh, the cultural element or archetype that guides with patience and wisdom in this case. Well, and, and we could say that to assume that a matriarchy without a king energy is viable is ludicrous. Right. Right. And that's where I, that's where I, again, I come back so much to the story in terms of what it presents itself as what are the masculine qualities and what are the feminine qualities, which we all must foster within ourselves. Right. Not only in ourselves, because I like how you keep on bringing this back, but as a society, what is the balance of masculinity and femininity within our societies, be it a patriarchy, be it a matriarchy. Right. And, 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 the, and the king in this story, um, as kings should, just knows something as simple as, thanks for telling me the hunt must go on. Don't do anything to this deer. Let's see what happens. And that leads us into, you know, where we are right now in the story, which is a beautiful marriage that is off to a whole new chapter. All right. We want this story to come back. And we welcome it. And we want to allow this story to be here with us once again as it was not too long ago where we last left off our little brother and our little sister was in their home that they had come across after leaving another home with the surprise of a king and his entourage coming in and quickly yet decisively asking, will you marry me? And the little sister said, yes, but you know, I've got my little brother. And well, he's, he's a deer of sorts. <laughs> and and the king very quickly saying, well, it's fine. Whatever your brother needs um, will be taken care of. Come along with me. 
and your brother can come along, but let's go. And so they are off. They arrive at the castle. And in the castle, things are taken care of. The deer plays in the courtyard. The sister has become the queen. And for a time, all is well. She becomes pregnant. And somehow, right before birth, the king is off, gone. When she brings the child into the world, he's not there. She's nursed, she's well taken care of. Things are going well. But we should not forget the stepmother. The stepmother who so long ago was convinced that in that forest they had been ripped to shred, the two of them, for their insolence of having ever left such a way. When she found out that not only had they not been torn apart and not only were they not dead but um, the little sister had married a king <laughs> the witch she was her daughter were enraged and the daughter said mom it should be me I should have been the one. Now, granted, she only had one eye, and most of her was hard to look at. But she had such demands. It should have been me. And the mom had said, my child, your time will come. Don't worry. I will be there when that time comes. And so, as witches do, she had transformed into a chamber's maid and um, made her way into the chamber of the queen and, and had gathered others around and had said, you know, hey, it's time for your bath. Let me take you in and, um, you know, let's clean you and uh, soothe you. You've been through much. And her daughter was not too far and they carried her in her weakened state into that path. And they put her in there. The fire that they made for steam, for warmth, was far beyond that, was heat. It was burning bright and as they closed and locked the doors and left the queen was left there and she suffocated and it was the end of her 
in that way. So immediately the, the stepmother, the witch, took her daughter and and did some little magic and, and turned her into a resemblance of the queen. The one thing that she couldn't change was the eye. And so as she laid her down in the bed, for it was known that the king at some point returned, she made sure that one missing eye was down and deep into the pillow. And she closed these curtains and uh, awaited. The king returned and he had heard that his wife had had born a child and was excited. And as he came into the room, he was going to open up the curtain and, and, and the witch was a chambermaid said, Ah, you cannot see your queen right now. You cannot see her right now. No one is to see her. Okay. Well, he awaited. And night came. And there was a nurse in the room. She was the only one in the room. Awake, vigilant, the child. And it was in that silence, in that darkness, that into the room came the queen. She came in, she grabbed the child, she nursed the child. She was always careful to take care also of her brother, the deer. And then, she was off without ever saying a word. And the nurse the next morning would ask everyone, you know, have you, have you seen anyone come in? And, and everyone was, well, we, no, we, we did not see anyone. And this went on for a while. It was clear that the child and the deer were taken care of. But after some time, um, the queen came back one night and she spoke and she said how is my child how is my dear I will come two more times and then never again the nurse listened the queen disappeared but the next day the nurse went and told the king everything. At that point, the king said, well, good heavens, what is this? Tomorrow night, I will keep watch with you of my child. That's where we will end for now. So now we have ghosts. We have deceit. <laughs> we have uh, what it's like to wake up and, and someone else is in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and murder. You know, like the the story is had like 
a, a sudden change of events where as we go back, ever since they left their stepmother's home, there's been this movement towards, you know, a hollow tree and then the thirst, and the consequence of the deer. Yeah, they ended up in a house, but it's well taken care of. Oh, the excitement, but the danger of the the hunt. And, but But things seem to be like doing okay and sustaining themselves and there seems to be some certain growth and then boom they get married and everything everything goes to hell (laughs) and everything goes to hell again right um and that's that cyclical Mm -hmm. brilliance that 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 stories maintain alive for those who understand that you know things are going good for now but um, shit will fall. It will come. And the question is, do you know that it will come and are you ready for it when it comes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That thing in our past that we may have thought that we escaped the running away from the family and feeling like we, we succeeded in escaping the problems right. of our ancestors uh, until we start our own family and then start to behave in ways that are all too familiar, right? Start to go down the road of like, um, of creating the patterns that so often we sought to, uh, to disrupt and to escape from a teaching perspective. Um, I, I, think that there's a there's an analogy with um with people who want to escape the conventional framework and go into alternative education and then they jump into alternative education only to start doing it the way that conventional <laughs> like they have a couple of, of, of ideas that they try out but ultimately it just the whole thing just kind of veers back back towards the convention because (laughs) the patterns that are within us uh, lead to that. They lead back to that convention. The default or what we do when we're all out of those good ideas ends up being what leads us back to the convention. And I think there's a lot about the story that's, that's, that's kind of, that's speaking to that for their Mm. insolence for leaving they were so they were so audacious to want to, to to think that they could just escape their ancestry by skipping down and, and, and running through some magical woods, right? Like, like uh, <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> well, what's chasing you? What's chasing us? The strings that that were tied to. <laughs> you know, as we tread off into the woods, those that one string's always right back there. And it leads back to that same place, you know, where where we can realize, you know, as as men, as fathers, um, as Bly would say, through his beautiful feeding of Iron John, you know, what are what are the ghosts in our psyche of what we didn't know what it was like to be a man because our father was off or, you know, as Marion Woodman would say in, in, in what she shares on leaving our father's house, what are the things that, that I now need to confront 
which I originally just fled from. Right. And now need to be dealt with. You know, in a culture, in an intact culture that, that is growing up within these things and with proper forms of initiation of the youth, where these stories are living, not explained always, but, but exist as a way for a mentor to then say, well, you know, you know how it took place in little brothers and little sisters. See, earlier on, we were, we were talking about, you know, just not worrying too much about explaining or something. Just tell the story. There reaches a point where uh, when, when our children and our youth are carrying these stories, they become incredibly powerful reference points because the premise of a myth is that it happened once upon a time, which is in no sense a part of time, but happened and is always happening. And as a culture remembers that, and, and I've seen this, you know, after having worked with the story for, for over 10 years, we now have a, a generation of sorts that, that knew some of these stories, but is now realizing like, well, that's taking place with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in which you can have that dialogue, not like when you're telling an adult that's just coming to story or myth for the first time, but but with youth that have really grown up in that, you have a different experience in the conversation because there's, first of all, the story already exists and is carried. But what begins to reveal itself is that, yeah, but the stories right now in this way, jumping back to life through you in this circumstance. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Right. Right. I love the the metaphor that you kind of laid out that that when we skip town from all of those um, from all those shadows, stepmother in this case uh, is representing that it's like we we hit a good time, and when we hit the good time, that thread that you were talking about that that's still there, it's still connected, all of a sudden becomes tight enough to sound. Right. It's like all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we had a good time. Whoa. Oh, there it is. And it, and, and it's like, right. But each of those stories, as you're talking about, like that have to, when adults come to stories, they need an explanation. <laughs> They're like, oh, help me, help me rationalize this. And, you know, um, if they haven't lived with them as, as many, many youth do if they're if they are immersed in the stories if if the stories are allowed to exist uh like there are for so many of the 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 beautiful young people that we've had a chance to uh to interact with over the last decade then each of those stories is its own thread that is never it's never loosened and so it's, it's all they're all acting in concert, right? 
And so those those threads are each story is acting like a, like a like a like a vibration, like a little vibration on a on a cord that runs through their life. It's never it's never so slack that they forget that it's there. Um, mm. And if they were, all they have to do is hit a really good time in life, and then have Coyote kind of jump in and <laughs> jump up on stage and be like, "I'm mixing it up. Remember me." <laughs> That that's what's really like taking place in this story. Yeah. I mean, this story is saying, yeah, things were going well. The hunt was cool. There was certain risk, and you succumbed, and and then you were victorious, and you got away with it, and you know all this stuff is taking place. But there, there's no joke about the queen's death mm-hmm. and the power of the stepmother's presence to also trace that thread right back to where it was, know exactly what's going on and launch the final blow. Like what didn't happen in the woods when I poisoned every single well, I'm going to make sure it's going to happen now. And it happens. Uh Yeah. There's nothing Disney about this. The, the queen is dead right there's there's no there's no uh politically correct savior to come in and uh and stop the tragic death of the uh, of by suffocation and being locked in a room with the fire like whoa yeah you're in sublime trust and you're being cared for in that place after giving birth you're vulnerable and and that is the exact place in which you will die and be reborn right and so vulnerability and, and that's is the very key. very very important important aspect here because the story is not saying don't be vulnerable it's saying only in your vulnerabilities can transformation happen yeah, we we've 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 spoken boldly about the power of the stepmother to make her presence into being able to really, you know, um, murder uh, the queen in benefit of her daughter, and she has magic powers to make her kind of resemble the queen, but it's not total. And that's a, that's a really nice thing to carry that, you know, it kind of reminds me of if, if I go back to like my Judeo Christian upbringing, um, you will not be tested beyond what you can hold. We on what you can respond to. And it's almost like there's all these things going on and there is this power that will really try to fuck you up. But but it's not ultimate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the eye, there's nothing that I can do except kind of like, like bury it in a pillow. And that's about it. And that's comforting <laughs> within all of this because what has taken place is like, whoa, like what am I to do against all of this? But that's a reminder that there is a limitation towards, um, what can take place against us Mm -hmm. and the fact that 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 there's nothing she can do against her own daughter's 
lack of an eye. So that's one part. The, the, the other part is wondering, well, what is this one eye period? Like, what, what, what is that? And what comes to mind is this idea of how much are we really seeing of what's really taking place? And, and that touches back on a little bit of our conversation at the beginning of all of this is, is are we really seeing what's taking place or are we limited to see what is really transcending? And quite certainly, as we know, even in this part of the story, um, the nurse is well aware of what's taking place. The queen, though, though dead, is able to nurse the child and take care of the deer. Um, but the one who lies in the bed can only see in part. And it's almost like a victorious part. Um, but what's really transcending, she's unaware. You know, that that is taking place all of the time within the things that we're going through in which we're, we're seeing, we may see the adversity of what's taking place, but are we able to understand that the adversity of what's taking place is really the pathway towards the ultimate victory over all of this in, in that scope, mm -hmm. um, there's a very small short sightedness of something far grand or that's transcending. And in the story is about to take place, but um, those who can really see like the nurse are aware of, but everyone else is completely a bit oblivious. Yeah. I, I, there's something that's, that's interesting in the relationship with, the king who is not allowed to see, he knows that something has changed and he knows that there's this wound, but he doesn't understand where the wound really comes from because the real wound is hidden from him. It's buried in the pillow. Right. And they say, Oh, she's, she needs her rest. She's gone through, she's gone through this ordeal. You need to just give her some time. Right. I think from a, from a very concrete perspective, there's a long transformation that happens with, um, uh, with the female and motherhood when after giving birth. And we can make that analogy to, to giving birth to anything, giving birth to an idea. There's, there's, a, there's the you know, starting a new business and then having the postpartum depression of now being needing to be responsible to this thing that sounded, that seemed like such a good idea for, for a long time. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh God, I gotta, I gotta actually put, put one foot in front of the other here and make this thing happen. It's, it's on me. And so when we take on a new responsibility, there's also an emergence of some old wounds because those, those old wounds become immediately visible for for how they trip us up and become the challenges and the gifts to to what that success might might be able to look like 
but from from the the perspective of the entire person like we are understanding that these characters live within us there's an executive functioning of the king that is that is external that's saying oh okay um well i'll leave her alone <laughs> and then there's an executive a, a balanced executive functioning that in this case i think is from the nurse who actually yeah. sees what, uh, you know, that, that this other thing is continuing to exist, sees a different angle of the picture. And eventually yeah. that intuition and the external obvious have to come together and actually have a, have a, have a reasonable and transparent dialogue. We can, we can have a wow. feeling about it, but that feeling may not really be connecting with our, with our executive functioning, you know, like logical brain. Wow. And that awareness of that timing is the gift of these stories, which is to realize you the 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 king continues to exist within his realm of awareness but if we are also aware that there's something else that is always bubbling up underneath that will manifest later on then we can become then we're much more open to recognizing it as we will see in the next part of the story and, and, and how quick the King is to engage the nurse mm-hmm. um, in that moment of, Hey, by the way, right. Uh, because they're the, the King. Okay. I can't go in there. Okay. Then this is what I need to do. And, and who knows what he's off doing, but he's doing King stuff. But there's all this other stuff happening underneath. And and being aware that we are always operating in the realm of what we can understand and what we cannot understand and see is always at play underneath the surface, awaiting the right moment to reveal itself for us to recognize or not is a beautiful gift in this part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. No, no matter what our public face is, we've got some locked doors. We've got some, some stuff happening behind closed doors within us. And it's beautiful to, you know, hear in the next part of the story, how, how quickly the King is like, Oh, okay. One last thing before we jump back in is I think it's worth pointing out that the story has a bit of a warning here with the, with the eye that I take, I take the eye to be this myopia that when in the throes of struggles, we can, we can tend to be a little myopic because we're spending a lot of energy burying our shadow in the pillow and our weaknesses and our wounds and only showing mm. the superficial side that has that you know no matter what we can do to make it look like everything is great it's yeah. all just a facade built by wow. 
built by the the, the shadows of the, of the stepmother. And you're talking about something incredibly complex about certain moments yeah. in our progression through life where we're told, no, you can't go in there. You can't see. Yep. And yet, if we go back to what we were sharing at the beginning of the story, there's a part of us that is each one of these characters. And so to remember that we are that one that murdered that, which was the queen within us to replace it by another stepmother of sort one, a one eyed buried in the pillow and yet realize that there's a stronger potential within us that is the nurse, the discarded, the, you know, as scripture would say, the outcast of the world that is kind of aware of this whole thing going on, but she's just a nurse. Who's going to listen to her? Why would she speak up yet? And, and all of these things are taking place, let alone the fact that the baby is being taken care of. Um, the deer is being taken care of. Things are okay, but there's an incredible amount of, action taking place some of which is conscious some of which is subconscious and it's a very vibrant volatile almost moment in the story mm -hmm. that you know that we're we're pausing at for sure so the nurse <laughs> After several nights of asking, you know, has anyone seen anything? <laughs> no, we've never seen anyone come in or out. She hears on this one night um, the ghost of the queen come in. And, and this night she speaks. She says, my child... My child, uh, tonight I come and I will come two more times, but then never again. This, this changed things tremendously for the nurse. And as the queen disappeared the next day, immediately she went in told the king something's going on this is what's been happening and the king said my god what is this I will keep watch the next night the king is there and he sees everything that the nurse had said was true he sees his own wife come in and say the same words as the night before. How is my child? How is my dear? I will come one more time, but then never again. But he does nothing. She nurses the child, she feeds the deer, and then disappears. The next night, 
comes in once again. And this time the king could not restrain himself. And so he jumps out and he, and he declares, you can only be my dear wife. And she says, yeah, I am your dear wife. And in that moment, she turns back to life. Vibrant, healthy, fresh, fully alive. And she tells the king about all the crimes of the wicked witch and the daughter. And it's at that point that the king orders order into the court. And he pronounces everything against them. The daughter is led out into the forest and is ripped to pieces by wild animals. <laughs> the witch is thrown into the fire. And it, once she is miserably burned to death, the deer is transformed. And he received his human form again. And the little sister and the little brother, as they say, live happily ever after. Until they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, uh, there's a lot in that ending, isn't there? Um, the king is such an interesting character in, the, in this story. And I, I want to focus on, on, on him a bit here. <clears throat> as, as we mentioned before, he, he had the good sense to listen to the nurse in the same way that he had the good sense to listen to the hunter, right? Yeah. And so this is a king. Yeah. This is a cognitive build, uh, functioning. This is a, a, an executive part of our ego that's, that somehow has learned the great skill of listening. <laughs> There's another story that it reminds me of called The Listener, and which is a beautiful, beautiful story um, in its own right. But it's but I'm like, whoever this king is, whoever this, this part of the ego is, they know how to listen. They've learned... A lot of lessons. There's, there's, there's a great wisdom there. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he has the power. His magic is that he both can listen and then can articulate what he's seeing. He only has to say, you can yeah. be none other than my wife. And, and we yeah. have to imagine that he, that prior to this, he felt probably a little bit of the angst for not being able to see his wife, for seeing mm -hmm. the person whose ha half of them was buried in the pillow. The wound was buried there. And for... Well, he was, he was never able to see her. Was it, was the, he, the room was... The, the, the light, I thought. I thought he was... I, he was at the door looking in, you know, like, no, no, no. The curtains were closed and you cannot go beyond that. And, 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 and I love that, that like, because we, we supersede King energy to be deity energy, the, the omniscient. 
And, and the king responds stoically, determined when he's given access to this or that. So the, the queen said, no, you cannot go in there. She's not ready to be seen. And so, okay, what can the king do? Uh, likewise, when the king has no idea what's going on, and it just so happens that a servant has seen that this deer that's prancing around with a golden garter through mm -hmm. the forest just so happens to speak. The servant says, do you have any idea? I just saw this one speaking. And, 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 and it's at those points that the king said, well, given that, the hunt right. must go on. And in this situation, like you were saying, he responds immediately. He said, well, my God, this is, this is on, like, I must see this myself. I want to be present when this takes place. And, you know, when he's present, and, and here there's a question, like he holds back that first night. Um, but I think that he's very clearly aware that of the words that say, I will come twice and then never again. The first time he's like there and he witnesses the whole thing, but he knows that there's just this one more chance. And then it's on that point that he's like, well, there's not going to be another chance. And, and he responds and he says, well, wait a minute. You can be no, no other than my wife. Mm -hmm. And, and so the King energy within all of us, be it the woman in a relationship or a male in a relationship, like is operating always within what we know. And what we're giving, but responds quickly to what we know and decisively. Right. And what we do not know, we can't be accountable towards. It's behind a curtain. It's off in the woods. I haven't seen it. And there's a beautiful kind of depiction of you are the king, but don't ever forget that you are not the God. Yeah. I, well, I love that. I also love what you're getting at with saying that the the king is decisive and, he's, and the king will make the best decision that the king can make given what the rest of the, given the information that he's allowed to have from the other parts of right. us, right? And so this gives us a, some characters to work with to articulate such situations as denial, Right. Well, because you, you mentioned the word accountability, like why, how can the king be accountable to something that he's that within ourselves, how can that king energy be accountable to the thing within ourselves that we're not willing to admit? We're in this place that, that, that I think can draw up some empathy between, you know, between uh, interpersonal relationships when my, when I see a person who I'm like, why don't they get this? You know, what, what they're in denial. Right. Um, and understanding that there's a part of them that literally is not allowing them to have all of the information necessary. Mm. Just as there's parts in within myself that are not allowing me 
to work with all of the information that may seem so transparent. And that's not, that's, that's not a, it's not meant to get out of uh, something. It's not meant to skirt culpability. It's meant to say that it is a development to become accountable to ourselves and that that's work that this story can help us, can help us manage, can help us work through. So much of what we're, we're drawing from in terms of what these stories are trying to say comes from a, a Jungian tradition that would say, you know, there's all these characters taking place within ourselves. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've thought about for a long time is how, you know, especially when you take a Jungian tradition and you contrast it with an intact indigenous tradition in which those the multiplicity of characters are taking place within you, yet there is also an external community within which your soul is shared that can also hold you accountable and can bring certain things that are not within your circumference of awareness into the light. Sure. Sure. I feel that there's a necessity to realize how much we need others to bring about the nurse energy to light be it that there's a nurse within us or not there's almost like this thrust that is needed to kind of poke and prod that into the light at least in how our society is today it may not have always been like that maybe we can figure all of these things out but this comes from a lot of time of thinking and a lot of time of experiencing how these characters are definitely present within us. But, you know, my shadows, the the stepmothers within me are only evidenced when I see them reflected or called out on by others with whom I have a trust to say, oh, yeah, I know what you're saying. And likewise, the council that sometimes needs a little push from an external force to, for, for me to actually listen to a nurse within me that has been trying to speak. And there seems to be this unavoidable reality of interaction between the multiplicity of voices within us and the interaction with those voices in and around us as we choose to have healthy voices of vile stepmothers Mm. within our presence because we can't cast them all off you gotta have them in close proximity you were the you were the one that told me so long ago it's always great to have an atheist within the group no matter what it is your cause have an atheist <laughs> uh, you know someone that doesn't believe in what you're saying you know like keeps and, your tips and, on fire you know like we're 
Yeah, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so having it be so internal versus having a recognition that that which is external triggers or nudges at best that which is an internal is something that I am sticking to in how all of these sorts of things transcend. Yeah. What comes to mind here is, is I'm listening to you get into dive into this is that as above, so below these voices, these characters, these archetypes mm. are, are existing in us individually and within the community. Um, because those mm. voices come through different angles and different aspects of the community. And, and there are times where, where we maybe only surround ourselves with the archetype of the stepmother or the archetype of the stepdaughter that's, that's super myopic and that only sees the negative thing that they want to control and dominate and the place that they want to be. But then once they're there, they don't know how to, they, they don't know how to behave other than to lie in bed in the dark. Right. Like that's, that's, that's the fate of, of the myopia there. The other thing that I think is, is incredibly powerful in this, in the story, as it relates to that, that sense of community that you're talking about, that, that isn't talked about so much in our culture of, of individuals is the power that's, that's, alive in an intact community but there's in the within the story we we see that the nurse doesn't say anything until the ghost says i'm not coming back after this after this amount of time and then she's like oh uh, okay there's uh so something happens we don't know what happens well there's something there there's something like there's a belittlement that we like, at least I, I feel towards that, which is nurse that the story is kind of saying, do not belittle the nurse here. She is studying what the hell is going on when everyone else is asleep. Sure. Sure. But there's some, there's some event that happens in between one night when the ghost doesn't yeah. talk And then the night when the ghost begins to talk, there's something else that happens. We don't know what happened. The story doesn't tell us what happens, but it's, it's external. It's beyond us. It's beyond the story. And I think that that's, that's giving credence to the, to what is out there within our lives. That's affecting where our own personal narratives are going. Yeah, so, so many times in stories, they, they will circle it in threes, mm-hmm. right? And this story is like, ah, oh, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. But then, right, until. and what you're highlighting is like, yeah, until, you know, and, and these, these cycles may be taking three months, three years, 30. three decades, <laughs> And then within us, something is triggered that it is time to act now. And I will not act by disrupting that which is coming into the room. I will not interact with that. I will go straight to the king. 
and the king will know how to decide. Mm -hmm. And in both the servant and in in the maid within the room, the nurse, there's that same loyalty Mm -hmm. of... I'm, and, and you can know this, like having been like, you know, when you were younger, like you kind of thought you had your shit together. And so you played, tried to play up those who you respected. And then you like really fucked things up. Right. <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> I thought I was really going to school this guy. Like, uh-huh. But then there's this other part of us that like, there's something going on that is beyond what I can understand. The best that I can do is to be loyal to it and go to that part within us. Cause this is not like a call to like patriarchy. This is a call to that within us that knows what the hell is going on. And, 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 and the nurse is recognizing something, but she may not know what to do with it, but knows what to do with it, which is to say, Hey, this is going on and goes into that council. And there's a part of us that doesn't do that. That doesn't respond as a nurse responds as a, how do you mean just two more nights your child will be dead and kind of trumps whatever the hell was going to take place out of a certain naivety and innocent nobility to kind of solve the situation. But the best thing would have been, as the story says, go to the king, mm-hmm. see what he's, see what he does. It seems a bit like what the story is saying is that in that balance of ego and intuition, that that's where this a quality of self confidence lies. So when we see self confidence, self confidence, not not boasting, not uh, false pretense, not um, not showy showiness, but just resolution. That that is a balance between the communication between that what the ego transparently is, is, is allowed is being shared with by, and how open to listening to the intuition that ego is. And, and, and I love how, I love how you bring it back to this, this idea that to demand justice in this certain way without actually, you know, watching and then sharing some of this information with the king in when it's relevant, when it's timely, that that the king, that the magic of the king is lost without that, right? So what the what the story tells us is that the king, the king's magic, is that he has the power to resurrect it just by seeing and saying what he sees. When he says, you can be none other than my wife, he's seeing her in, in her authentic, in her uh, uh, authentic place, in her authentic stance and uh, presence. And she says, yes, I am. And at that point, she's, she's resurrected. She's turned back to life. And that the the power it it, tell, it tells us something about the power of recognizing uh, 
in someone um, what it is that we're seeing. The power of, the, of mm. our words there that were only that only gained that power from having the skill of listening. And so I think back to our podcast a couple of weeks ago, where we're talking about a culture and an individual's ability to listen to another person's story. Right? Do you remember where we're we're saying that so much of what what we see happening in, in the world right now is an inability to listen because we're so busy trying to be heard. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Mm. There's a lot of servants responding very quickly mm. to what's taking place and falling on the prey. Yeah. And likewise, the nurse realizing, like the nurse doesn't realize wow, she, she knows the mother's coming in. She's been seeing that for a long time and she's just observing. And, and then the king even does that. He observes, he watches for a second night, be that 10 years or 20 years. Mm-hmm. Stories don't tell, right. right? But our ability to be able to observe and to then respond when it is the time and say, you can be no other than my wife is so much of the gift of what this story is asking us to say, to see in, in which to respond from our masculine energies, from our feminine energies, from our rationales, from our intuitions, to be able to hold those all in check for when the right moment says, wait a minute, you can be no other than my wife. And then things transcend. Yeah. Anything else is to jump the gun. And though the motives may be benign, they are naive. Or noble. And they jump the gun. They, yeah. they, and, and noble. And they jump the gun and they disrupt the possibility of the true healing that can transcend if we are to await and know how to come to that moment of decision and really bring about the coming together of the king, the queen, the child, the deer, which uh, I may not have said this, you know, when that witch is burned to ash, the deer comes back to life as well. And, and he comes back into the brother that he always was. And so anything slightly enacted out of time, our, our, our ability to recognize time as we also mentioned in other podcasts, like our ability to recognize Kairos Mm -hmm. versus Kronos in in how to respond to the situations that are manifesting, especially right now. Um, We have to be observant and we have to be in communication with different voices within ourselves and around us of what's taking place before that enacting of what needs to take place. Yeah. Yeah. The story is so timely, seemingly so timely right now um, 
with where it can go um, and, and what it can teach. Yeah. I think so much of like the movement in Chile right now, so much is taking place. There's such an uprising of the feminine voice. But if the feminine within all of us can learn to watch like the nurse and can wait for the right moment to communicate with the king within each one that is advocating for a balance between the feminine and the masculine. If we can learn to assert at those right timings and synchronize with Kairos, we will be better for it. Right. To push through and to thrush um, out of time to act more on one side of intuition or more one side of rationale puts us in something that sets back even further the possibility of the healing that's to come. We must be aware of that and we must be responding to what's happening in our world in accordance to for me it's stories like having learned stories Mm -hmm. having heard stories like knowing that there's not a single way to go about things but there but there's a heightened awareness that comes from the multiplicity of ways on how to go about things is the gift of story into our critical thinking of the evolution of where we want to take things well, that was that was beautiful, man. I'm glad that we were able to. That was to uh, to really really chew on a on, on this, one of these beautiful, delicious uh, myths for for a little while. That is all the time that we have for uh, this second half of of our podcast on storytelling. Um, this is the Warrior of Beauty series with Originative. And uh, please uh, find us on uh, the internet, www.originative.org. And uh, send us a message, get hooked up with our WhatsApp thread, and uh, lend your voice what's happening. Good to be with you. May the story go back into the ground may be protected until once again it come come back to life again be well all